Can nutrition play a role in high-performance athletes' success? My guest today, registered dietitian and board-certified specialist in sports dietetics, Layla Almasri, will tell us how. Layla is a consultant, author, and speaker who has worked with swimmers competing in the Olympic trials, with Navy SEALs when she served for over 10 years as the head sports dietitian for the U.S. Naval Academy, as well as a consultant to a yacht team in ocean competition. In college, Layla earned two All-American honors in women's water polo at Velanova, and she placed first in her age group for three years in the Chesapeake Bay Swim Challenge. She is co-author of the book, 100 Questions and Answers About Sports Nutrition. Today, we'll be discussing nutrition for high-performance athletes. Layla, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me. I know diets are individualized, but what are the common nutrition goals when you work with high-performance athletes or special forces candidates? So some of the common nutrition goals um, include basically understanding a basic foundation of the principles of sports nutrition. So muscle fuel, uh, hydration, and recovery. And muscle fuel being the carbohydrates, the proteins, um, the fats, how, how to get those into your diet. Um, in order for an athlete to maximize their performance, they must be aware of the demands of their sport and then what fuels to consume before, during, and after exercise. One of the things that I teach athletes is to listen to their body's hunger signals and fuel when their body tells them it needs fuel. Um, as a sports dietitian, it's really hard um, sometimes to get athletes to be able to understand what, what their hunger signals are. They want me to tell them when to eat and what to eat and how much to eat. And that's one of the big barriers um, working with athletes, no matter what type of athlete they are, no matter what type of performer, is getting them to understand what their body's hunger signals are. So, for example, fatigue, irritability, poor concentration, headaches, shakiness, sleep disturbances are all signs of hunger signals that many athletes often ignore. So once we can get them understanding this is associated with my hunger, they start to perform better um, they fuel better, they avoid being over-hungry, and performance, of course, is maximized. You don't normally think of those as being the, of the signals that you'd look for. You think of just your stomach being the, the signal, so it's important, I can see. Can nutrition play a role in high-performance athletes' success? And if so, in what ways? Do you have examples of how that works? Sure, absolutely. Um, a solid nutrition plan is important for for all athletes competing at you know high levels competing at masters levels competing at youth level each athlete no matter who they are especially the high performance athletes are always looking for ways to shave seconds off their time or gain some strength so what we always try to do as a sports dietitian is regularly tweaking their nutrition program you know i always tell athletes that nutrition and exercise go hand in hand if you only have an exercise plan without a nutrition plan or a nutrition plan without an exercise plan, you're only achieving half of your success. Um, so ways that we might, you know, that a high-performance athlete might increase their performance, recognizing and acting upon their hunger signals, increasing the variety of foods in their diet, um, kind of getting more precise about a hydration plan, and then periodizing their program. Uh, often athletes think about periodizing their exercise program, but they don't realize that they have to periodize the nutrition program to follow that exercise program. Could you explain what periodizing means? Yes, so periodizing would be as the season changes. 
so does your exercise or so does your nutrition. So if you're in intense training, then you need to increase your fuel to match those intense training needs. If you are in such as off-season where you're doing less intense training or maybe not exercising as frequently, then the amount of fuel that you're taking in is going to be decreased. So kind of periodizing that that nutrition to match the amount of exercise. Um, oftentimes, especially some of the elite athletes, because they're so used to doing lots of exercise that when they have the, the off time, it's hard for them to kind of to decrease the amount of fuel that they're taking in and often may lead to weight gain. So we have to, we have to tweak that so the off-season and in-season really matches well and we're able to fuel and recover properly. So if they're eating less, do they cut it across the board on carbohydrate, protein, and fat, or do you cut down on one certain kind of fuel? What I normally, well, it depends on what type of athlete you're working with, but for the most part, what I like to do, uh, or what I encourage my athletes to do is not necessarily um, cutting out foods or cutting out snack times, but reducing the amount that you're eating. Um, in addition to also, you know, if an athlete in season is waking up to do a morning practice and then off season, they're not waking up to do a morning practice, then that pre-workout snack is, is going to be cut. So some of the things are actually just taken out of the plan just by the fact that they're not doing some of the training or they may not be up. Um, and some of the, some of the things are just kind of reducing just a little bit on the plate if they're in the off season, but nothing, nothing drastic. Um, what I don't want to ever do is, is cut out meals and snacks as, as that's not going to be an appropriate way for an athlete to, to manage their, their fueling, whether it's in season or off season. So basically it's eating according to what, how much physical activity and what their nutritional needs are uh, with that. Yep. And, and, and hunger level too. And hunger level, okay. If an athlete's performance is declining, how can you tell if it's from overtraining or poor nutritional habits? So this is a good question, yet uh, a bit of a complicated question because athletes don't present, you know, with identical symptoms. Um, So overtraining is usually a combination um, of many factors, including overexercise, lack of recovery, and improper fueling. So we see, we start to see athletes, you know, physically and, and mentally, their performance starts to decline over time. And oftentimes the athlete may be, start to kind of feel uninterested in their sport, feeling burnt out, just very tired, maybe persistent soreness. Um, injuries start to go up, um, decreased ability to focus, um, sleep disturbances, loss of appetite. So some of these some of these signs and symptoms start to occur. Um, What we like to see is either the athlete come in and or a coach refer them, whether it be a, you know, the direct coach or strength and conditioning coach. um, And the athlete get their, have their diet analyzed by a sports dietitian, really kind of looking at that in conjunction with their training plan to assess if they're taking in enough fuel and not just enough fuel, but enough fuel at the right time. So before, during, and after exercise as well. Um, and together with the, the coach, the trainer, physicians, you know, we work together to make sure that none of these avenues are overlooked and also take a look to see, because oftentimes as an athlete's performance kind of 
starts to go down, we're looking at overtraining. Is it poor nutrition or has, you know, an eating disorder or disordered eating started to creep into that trading habits? Um, so putting all those pieces together. So it's a little bit, it's a little bit complicated, um, and it really takes a team to, to figure out what's going on and, and get this athlete back on track. I've heard athletes say before, I can always tell when I'm overtraining because I crave ice cream. <laughs> and they're going to uh, Baskin-Robbins way too often. <laughs> You're listening to Nutrition Edge on ReachMD. I'm Kathy King, and I'm speaking with dietitian Layla Amasri, and we're talking about nutrition for high-performance athletes. Layla, is thirst a good predictor of an athlete's uh, fuel needs, especially in hot, humid climates or high altitude? So this is definitely a great question. Um, and I always tell the athletes that thirst is, is, is not a good predictor of hydration status. Um, some athletes have a better thirst reflex than others, and we, I always tell them it's best to judge hydration by urine frequency and color. So the goal being frequent urination that is pale yellow in color. Um, sometimes you may not feel thirsty. Sometimes they are too thirsty. Maybe they wait too long. So really just going by goal, frequent urination that is pale yellow in color. As for many athletes do not realize that, you know, how much fluid, because you asked about um, hot, humid climates or high altitude. So a lot of athletes don't realize how much fluid they're losing when they're competing or training in hot, humid environments or at altitude. One of the things that I always find interesting, especially in the environment where in the summer here, where we live in Annapolis, Maryland, where it's very hot and humid in the summer. And a lot of kids are out training, and they don't realize that or they're sweating or their sweat rates are not very efficient. So what we like to try to make sure is that if they're, if they're outside exercising and they're noticing that they've got sweat, that they can literally brush off their hands or brush off their arms, brush off their legs, they know that they're not able to sweat very efficiently. So in those types of environments, so where the sweat is more dripping than evaporating from the skin and or at higher altitude, athletes definitely need to make sure that they're paying more attention to their fluid intake. So at high altitude, usually it's a little bit colder, and with each breath, they're losing more fluid as they're breathing. So we want to make sure that um, these types of athletes either take the time to acclimate to that environment, which they might not be able to because it usually takes about four to six weeks to acclimate to that type of environment, so if they're not doing that or if they don't have that time to be in that environment for before they compete, then we need to make sure that they, they are increasing their fluid intake and that they start training with that increased fluid prior to getting to that environment. How does the diet vary for training days or all-day competitions? So there's definitely different training days or competitions based on different sports. So you may have a swim meet where... Um, you're sitting around for a long period of time. You may have a tournament-style play, um, such as you know competing two or three games um, each day of a weekend, or you might have someone who's doing an event such as you know an Ironman or training for an Ironman or some long-distance race where they may be you know on a bicycle for six hours at a time. So it varies within the question too. So what I always want to make sure is that the athlete who's going out to either do a training day or an all-day competition, that we always make sure that we're still getting in the carbohydrates, the proteins, and the fats. Um, if an athlete 
you know, because they're training, because it depends on the mode of exercise that they're doing, most likely those, those long competition days or training days, um, the athlete's going to need to fuel with smaller, more frequent amounts. So small snacks, small little mini meals as they go throughout the day. You know, if you have a couple, if you're the athlete that's on the, the bicycle for six hours versus the athlete that has maybe a couple hours in between the game, then clearly what you can get in is what you can fuel with. It might be a little bit different. One of the crucial pieces, though, is preparing prior to that training or competition. So making sure that athlete is responsible for making sure that they have a variety of foods and fluids available to them. Um, and, of course, ones that they find palatable, ones that they can easily bring with them. And I always recommend that they do that, figure out what it is that they like during practice, not the day of competition. Don't rely on, you know, your parents or don't rely on your coach or don't rely on someone else to bring the food. Make sure that they take into account what they like and bring what they like. For example, if someone is on an, uh, a six-hour bicycle ride, they would have what kinds of uh, fluid and, and um, carbohydrate or, or other foods would they have with them? So I think if someone was going on a six-hour bike ride, I would recommend you know, some sports drink. I would recommend um, you know, either they could bring dried fruit, they could bring bananas, they could bring bagels with peanut butter, um, some some athletes like to do, you know, wraps with peanut butter, but getting in the protein and the carbohydrates, making sure they have enough fluid. You know, others may like to have trail mix. It all depends on how, um, how, I don't know how good they are really at, at peeling some of the wrappers off or, or getting how fast they can get it out of their, you know, pocket or wherever they hold it. Some athletes like to wrap, you know, um, some athletes like to wrap dried fruit on their handlebars, um, you know, it depends on how creative they can get. And then, of course, what temperature they're cycling in. You know, if it's really hot, you probably don't want to bring, you know, a lot of things are going to melt. So it just depends on what time, you know, they're going out, how long they're going out, what fuel they like, and how, how smart they can be about where they can stash some of those fuels as they're, as they're cycling to be able to reach them quickly and eat. I've noticed of uh, many athletes, the one thing that we always say is uh, don't do it the first time on a competition. <laughs> Practice with it so that, that you actually know you can, you can handle it on, on the bicycle while you're going. Um, one uh, a question then I would like to ask you is that I know you've competed in open water events. Uh, what are the c- considerations for athletes training or competing in cold water or cold weather like that? Yeah, cold weather and cold water definitely pose a little bit of a different situation. Um, any athlete that's competing in, in cold water or cold weather um, needs to take into account such things as increased utilization of carbohydrates um, and greater loss of fluid, you know, during respiration. Um, I always tell my swimmers, even in the pool, your body temperature is 98.6. The pool temperature is usually around 78 to 80 degrees. So no matter what, the first thing you do when you get in, you're going to be cold. It's going to take a while to warm up. Um, And if you don't have enough body fat, you're going to end up shivering. And shivering can expend up to about 60% of the athlete's carbohydrate stores. So athletes that are competing in cold water and or, you know, training a lot in cold weather would definitely benefit by increasing their body fat. Um, And 
again, working with a sports dietitian to modify that, you know, in the proper way because we don't want to have, you know, um, we don't want to increase your body fat so much that it slows you down. But having actual increases in body fat for those that are competing in the cold water or cold weather actually really does increase performance rather than decrease performance. And then, of course, the fluid losses with respiration, we need to make sure that we're that we have enough fluid available and that we're increasing that fluid intake to compensate for those losses. One thing that I noticed working with a lot of the swimmers, especially the swimmers that are going on to Olympic trials, we would do a lot of um, bod pod assessments, just to just a periodic assessment, you know, not necessarily to say this is how much your body fat is, but just to assess how things have changed, assess how things change over time if the student or the athlete or wasn't eating properly we could or sleeping properly, we could tell those changes in body composition. But those swimmers, those people competing in those colder water, always had a higher body fat. You couldn't tell they had a higher body fat just by looking at them, but that higher body fat actually helped them not only with keeping warm, preserving their carbohydrates, increase their buoyancy, and it helped their performance overall. If their body fat was very low, which sometimes at the beginning of the season when they weren't training, you know, so much in the off season, we would see it low. And once they started to get their body fat back up a little bit, it's their performance increased. You know, it's counter, maybe counterproductive to what people think, but actually that increased body fat really is a huge benefit to those that are competing in that cold weather or cold water. My thanks to our guest, sports nutrition, Layla Amousri. We've been discussing nutrition for high-performance athletes. I'm Kathy King, and you've been listening to Nutrition Edge on ReachMD. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring podcasts of this and other series, and thank you for listening.